Good morning, Faith Church. Hope you all are doing well on this Sunday morning. And it's shocking that we are coming to the end of John's Gospel here in John 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them open, turn to John 21. But as we're coming to the end of John, a little bit of housekeeping on some items or maybe some things that are coming down the line that we want to keep in front of you with respect to this. Uh, first of all, next Sunday, uh, we'll do our John remix or our John review, which means we'll look at the totality uh, of the book of John, as we tend to do with, with book series, especially longer ones. Um, and so we'll just try to summarize that and, and be helpful in, in treating the totality of John uh, moving forward. But one of the things that we typically do uh, with uh, the end of a book is we allow for uh, questions, and we do this typically by allowing for text in uh, questions, and we do that live in the service. Obviously, right now, that's hard to facilitate. So in lieu of that, here's what we're going to do. And we're telling you now, because we want you to be thinking about it moving forward uh, into next week. Uh, but over uh, the course of the next week, week and a half, uh, as you watch next week's sermon, if you have questions, but you might even have some now, you can text them to me, you can send them into the church office, shoot them to one of the other pastors, uh, we'll put that together, in a, or gather them in about a week, and then we'll do a video trying to answer as many questions uh, as possible. So we, we still want to maintain that and keep that available, uh, although we know it'll look different. And so even next week, as we move into our time, you can be thinking through that. But that's next week. I want to focus our attention here where we're at this week, which is the last 11 verses of John 21, starting in verse 15, moving through verse 25. And real quick, we don't typically do this, but given that it's the end of the book, I want you to actually look at verse 24 and 25. That's where I'm going to start, because I'm just going to briefly touch these, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, in verses 15 through 23. But it says this. It says, This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who's written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John's saying, I'm the one who wrote this gospel. And then in verse 25 it says, Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Which is really just a statement that there's a whole lot of stuff that Jesus did that we don't have in the Gospels, uh, but that we can know uh, other things were happening, and John is just letting us in on that. Uh, but uh, where we want to spend the remainder of our time is in verses 15 through 23. So let me turn your attention to that and really uh, focus our uh, gaze on what God has for us in these verses. And let me do so by starting uh, just by asking a few questions. Uh, and so as we think about this text and what God has for us, let me just start by asking this have you ever said something that after you said it, you wish that you wouldn't have said it? Right? All of us can think of instances like that. For some of us, that happens quite often. Some of you are thinking, that only happens every day in my life. Lord, let me ask you this. Have you ever responded to a situation or a circumstance or an event in a way that afterwards you were like, I wish I would have done it differently? Um, or maybe you have something in your life that even at the thought of it today, maybe it was years or even decades ago, but if you think about that, it's still a little bit embarrassing for you. Like, why, why did I do that? What was I thinking in that moment? All of us, all of us, all of us have moments, times, events in our life that, that, that we know are true in that sense. But I'd imagine that there might be one thing or there might be a couple of things that when we think about those items in our life, it's not simply that we kind of sigh or shake our head or roll our eyes at them, right? Because it's not just some kind of garden variety mishap 
that's happened in our life. Uh, it's something that's far more critical, far more devastating, this incredible failure in our life. And as we think about that thing, maybe part of what comes with that is we begin to think, maybe we begin to even question, does God still love me? Can God still use me? Doesn't he know about whatever that item is? Because as we come to this final episode in John 21, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to address that thing in Peter's life. Of course, that thing was really three things, and then uh, the threefold denial of Peter, uh, of Jesus, uh, right before Jesus went to the cross. And of course, Jesus is going to do this, and, and it's not vindictive, right? He's not trying to get back at Peter. He's not trying to punish Peter. Uh, this is about restoring and releasing Peter back into the ministry that God has for him. Uh, really, this is the same thing that God intends to do in your life and in my life as well. And so as we look at John 21, uh, the, the theme, the main idea of what we're going to see unfold in the text uh, this morning is this, that Jesus restores us to send us out as we follow him. Let me say that again. Jesus restores us. He wants to restore you, loved one, to send us out as we follow him. So the title of the message this morning is Restoring Mission. Last week it was Revealing Mission. This week we're looking at the restoring mission of Jesus. Now, just for the sake of context, remind us where we're at. If you remember the beginning of chapter 21, the disciples go out, they decide to go fishing, they don't catch anything. A guy on the shore is like, hey, why don't you throw your net on the other side? Of course, the guy on the shore is Jesus. And they have this miraculous catch. And then Jesus invites them in for that breakfast uh, that he had already prepared for them uh, on the beach. So when we get to verse 15, right, this is the context uh, that, that, that we find ourselves in. It's, it, it's right after breakfast. Uh, but here in verse 15, what Jesus does is now he's going to focus his attention on Peter. And as he engages Peter, that, that there's two themes that, that, that run in parallel or toggle back and forth uh, in this episode, in this account. And it's this, that, that Jesus both wants to restore Peter as well as commission Peter with the work that God has for him. And so again, Jesus restores us to send us out as we follow him. And so as we move through our time together this morning, really we're just going to look at these two themes and, and what they mean for us. So let's begin with this idea. The first, uh, the first of the two elements or themes here is this. It's the restorative work of Jesus in us the restorative work of Jesus in us. Let me read here uh, from John 5, or 21, starting in verse 15. And it says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And this is the restorative work of Jesus in the life of Peter. And, and, and Jesus' love for Peter is what prompts him to come to Peter and to address Peter's failure. And, and what you have to understand is that Jesus is going to do the same in your life and in my life. 
Right? Jesus does not come at Peter to tear him apart. Jesus is coming to Peter to put him back together. That's what he's doing here. Right? This isn't to shame Peter, it's to free Peter. And so when God addresses the junk and the failures and the issues in your life, it's not to shame you, it's not to embarrass you, it's not to tear you apart, it's to put you back together. It's to restore you, right? This, this is what he's doing uh, for Peter, right? He's not shaming him, he's freeing him. Jesus already bore the shame on the cross. So we have to understand that Jesus will honestly address the issues, the junk, the baggage in our life, but he's doing it for our good. Now, as we look at what's happening here in these, these few verses, I think Jesus' approach in this situation is very intentional and very deliberate. Remember, the disciples are out on the scene, and Jesus is the one that sets the scene. And the scene is critical because, because you have a couple of elements that are very, very similar to Peter's denial. Right? You've got the charcoal fire, and you've got someone asking Peter questions about his relation to Jesus. Back in chapter 18, he's denying, even cursing that he knows him. And here Jesus asks Peter, not once, not twice, not three times, questions about his relationship to Jesus. And of course, Jesus using the same setting, but he's driving for a very different, radically different result. I would argue these questions here that Jesus poses uh, to Peter are graciously brutal. They're brutal in that they're unflinching and honest. They're brutal in that they're cutting. When I say cutting, think of a surgeon with a scalpel, right? But he, he just exacting uh, in Peter. But, but when a surgeon makes a cut, it's ultimately to heal and restore in the same way that Jesus is doing here. And so I would say that they're brutal in that sense, but they're gracious in the sense of what they're producing. Because what Jesus is intending to draw out and tease out and root out of Peter is his pride and his presumption and his self-reliance. And Jesus wants to replace that with humility and mercy and honesty, all of which is rooted in a love of God. Right, You've got to remember, Peter has made some very bold, dare we say, arrogant claims at different points in the course of Jesus' ministry. Back in John 13, uh, he told Jesus, I laid my life down for you. Uh, in Matthew, in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Peter said that he would never fall away. They made a promise to God that you weren't able to keep. I mean, that, that, that's a terrible, terrible feeling. That's exactly where Peter finds himself at. And so Jesus uses this exchange right, to draw these issues out of Peter's heart, ultimately for Peter's good. And so the question all revolves around Peter's love for Jesus. In fact, we can even ask ourselves this question, is Jesus my greatest love? That's what Jesus is asking of Peter. I think that's what Jesus also wants to ask of you and I. Is Jesus my greatest love? And so let's look at each of these questions here for a moment. But really, as we look at them, I want you to be able to feel the tension and the emotion in this, right? You've just had this breakfast. You're excited to be reunited with the Lord. And, and you can almost see Jesus just kind of reclining there on the beach, maybe even looking at Peter for a moment. And then, uh, right, as he begins to speak, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And can't you just sense what starts to go on inside of Peter? Oh, 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 oh. we're going to talk about that right now. Right? And, and maybe the heart starts to beat a little bit faster. Maybe that lump in his throat starts to come up. Are you ready? Just kind of flushed. Your hands get clammy. Like, oh, we're doing this. 
I want you to notice a few things specifically. First of all, it's so intriguing what Jesus calls Peter. He actually doesn't call him Peter. Look at what he says, Simon, son of John. He uses his formal name to grab his attention. Now, you have to remember, all the way back in John chapter 1, uh, that, that's where Jesus first called uh, Peter, not Peter, but Simon, son of John. And in fact, that was the last time that he called Peter, Simon, son of John, because it was there in chapter 1 that Jesus renamed him. Right? Jesus is the one who gave him the name Peter. He's Peter because Jesus said that he was Peter. Right? And so in this moment now, he's coming back to uh, his old name. And it's meant to be striking. It's meant to be stirring. It's meant to evoke some things. It's meant to draw Peter's attention. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Certainly, I had this happen all the time growing up. You remember when your mom would call you by your full name? Right? Like If she used your full name, not just Mike for me, but Michael. It's like, oh, like even today, if people call me Michael, I just assume I'm in trouble. Uh, but then when you really want to lay uh, the thick wood down, what do you do? You, you drop the middle name in there as well. Right? So if someone says Michael Timothy, and it's like, man, I'm busted. Right? I'm just, I just know that, 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 that that's what's going on. But it grabs our attention. Simon, son of John. You just see his eyes wide at this. Like, well, why is he calling me that? Right? What is Jesus' purpose in doing this? It's to remind Peter of his calling. It's to remind Peter of what Christ has done in his life. It's to remind Peter, hey, you remember that day when I called you into service? Right? Do you remember when you started as a disciple? Do you remember when I called you? And maybe you need to remember that same thing. You need to hear God calling your name and reminding you of that day that you were called into service. Do you, like Peter, need to be reminded that Jesus calling you into a service, that wasn't predicated on your talent or your resource or your skill. That was the invitation and initiation of Jesus for your good. And honestly, how freeing is that? I think that's so freeing when you think about it, right? Jesus doesn't invite us into the kingdom because we're useful. And if that were the case, the moment that you and I are no longer useful, we get booted out. That's the mindset that most professional athletes have after a few years. I'm only as good as my last season. I'm only as good as my last performance. And if I don't perform, I'm no longer going to be a part of this. That's not who we are in Christ. I mean, that's not the Christian life. Right? In the Christian life, what you and I are is we're sons and daughters. Because God invites us into his work. And that's beautiful, and that's glorious. Maybe you need to hear that today, to be reminded of God's calling of you, to be reminded of his grace for you, to be reminded that Jesus invited you, not because you brought something to the table, but because he brought everything to the table. Simon, son of John, reminding him of, him of his calling. And then he asks him this, he says, do you love me more than these? What are we to make of the more than these? Who is it that Jesus is referencing here when he says this. Now, let's just own that there's some uncertainty on this. There's some different interpretations on this, and people go some different ways. Uh, but most likely, it's tied to the disciples, and, and Jesus is either saying, do you love uh, the disciples more than me, or do you think that you love me more than the disciples love me? And I actually think it's the latter uh, that Jesus is referencing here. Uh, because, because for Peter, there's been this issue of pride uh, in him, and so Jesus wants to deal with this. Right? Peter's the one who said, I'd lay down my life for you. Peter's the one who would say that he would never fall away, but of course he did, right? He failed miserably. So I think part of what Jesus is trying to tease out in Peter at this moment is, hey, there's, there's no point in trying to compare your love with the love of other disciples. 
You, you, you don't worry about how they love me. You just worry about how you love me. And that's a word that's good for all of us. And Jesus is actually going to come back to that here in a few moments. But when Peter responds at the end of verse 15, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice that he, he doesn't say anything else about the more than these. It's almost as if humility is beginning to wash over him. Right? He's beginning to get it. And I wonder, have you ever wrestled with that? Some of the things that Peter's wrestling with or has wrestled with, or where at some level, in some capacity, you think that you're more spiritual, more righteous, more faithful, more holy, more deserving of God's blessing than someone else? I mean, when, when you think about it, it's really pretty silly, right? In an objective moment, like, that's ridiculous. Why would anyone think that? Right? We're all deserving of God's wrath and nothing else. And if we're honest, right, we, we wrestle with that from time to time. Maybe we think, why, you know, why, why won't they take good counsel, or why won't they do the right thing, or why, what's their issue? And if you wrestle with that, let me just say this. Let what's happening here between Jesus and Peter serve as a warning of the ways that Jesus will graciously humble us, and this is true of us as well. Right? That we would think that we're somehow more deserving of God's grace than others, Jesus will undoubtedly deal with that and bring us back to a place of humility. And so Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds by saying, feed my lambs. I'm not, I'm not going to say much about the feed my lambs, uh, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. I'm not, not going to say much about that. Suffice to say that immediately what you see is Jesus is already tying restoration with mission together. Right? You see it just in verse 15. You see both of them. Right, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than me? Yes, you know that I love you. Okay. Feed, feed my lambs. Right, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Those are going to be the other um, uh, commands that Jesus is going to give. But he's tying these two things together. I do want to just draw that out real quick. A second question. Jesus asks him a second time. Verse 16, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And here, nothing of the more of these. Jesus is like, he's getting it. Peter is getting it. Uh, and so Jesus says a second time, tend my sheep. I just want to make a quick note here. Uh, that, that notice that each time Jesus refers to the sheep or the lambs as his. They're possessive of him. Right? My lambs, my sheep. That's what uh, Jesus is saying. What, he, what he's getting at is that we're his. Right? We're ultimately belonging to him. Yes, we share in life with one another, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, but our belonging is tied to who we belong to, and that's the good shepherd. Back in John 10, Jesus told us, hey, a day's coming where there's going to be one flock, one shepherd, and now you're actually seeing some of this beginning to unfold. Jesus is reinforcing that. My sheep, I love that, right? because that's what's true of us. And then a third time, verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here, John gives us a little more insight into Peter's response. He says this, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter responded by saying, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, feed my sheep. But here with this third question, Peter is grieved. And I think, I think this is the moment that it all clicks for Peter, right? The light bulb comes on, right? He's confronted with his threefold denial, these three questions about his relationship to Jesus, the charcoal, like it's all coming together. He's confronted with this failure. Why? 
because Jesus wants to replace in Peter the threefold denial with a threefold profession of his love for him. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to free him. He wants to liberate him. That's life giving. That's healing. That's restorative. And that is what I think Jesus wants to do. But it requires that Jesus has to deal with the issues and the baggage and the junk in Peter's life. See, loved ones, what you got to understand is that the healing balm of Jesus is going to deal with our issues, with our junk, our past, our baggage. He's not going to ignore it. He's got to deal with it. But he's doing it to free us and to redeem them. So as you think about that, let me just, let me just ask you a few questions here. Do you have items in your past that still haunt you or plague you? Right, items that if, if they were mentioned, if, if someone said something about them, if you remember them, it's not just that you cringe, it's not just that you wince, but, but maybe they even lead you to this place where you begin to question your position before the Lord. You have items in your past that you ignore or avoid because the, the embarrassment is so strong and the shame is so deep. You got items in your life that, that are a wedge or a block or a hindrance to your relationship with the Lord. And as you think about those things, here's what I want you to consider. I want you to consider what Jesus is doing with Peter in this moment and how that informs and how that instructs what should be happening in our own lives as we consider our own failures and our own shortcomings before the Lord. Because what this should be doing is helping us to understand the redemptive work of Jesus on our behalf that ultimately restores us back to Him and back to God. You ever had a bitter taste in your mouth and you eat something? You drink something, you're like, that is gross, and what do you, what do you want to do? Right? You, you find something else to replace that bitter taste in your mouth. This right here in John 21, this is that same bitter taste, but it's not in the mouth, it's in the soul. And what Jesus is doing is he is giving Peter something to rinse that out or to cleanse from him. It's helping him to wash it away. And so I just wonder, what in your life is God lovingly coming to you today, right now, in this moment, bringing it up, addressing, engaging, drawing it up, but he's inviting you not into that place of shame and embarrassment, but instead he's inviting you into that place of restoration and wholeness. And are you willing to let him take you there? Right? Yeah, I get it. It might be embarrassing. It might be disgraceful. It might be shameful to admit it, to address it, to, to be honest about it, but Jesus' intent is to free you from that. Not to imprison you within it. And so will you let him do that? See, loved ones, what you cannot understand is if you're in Christ, your failure, your denial, your sin, that does not invalidate the finished work of Jesus. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's covered and atoned by the finished work of Jesus. Because you cannot outsin the grace of God. I don't know why you'd want to try, but you couldn't do it. And I think this is why Peter's response earlier in the chapter. When he first comes to realize that it's Jesus on the beach and he jumps out of the boat into the water is so, so profoundly instructive and beautiful. Right? He knows, Peter knows what stands between him and Jesus. He knows about his denial. He knows that hasn't been dealt with, but he doesn't run from the one that he has wronged. He runs to the one that he has wronged because he knows that's the only one that can remedy and alleviate these issues. Man, I, I hope, I hope that you are understanding this, grabbing this, and capturing this. 
This is life-altering if we can understand what it is that Jesus is doing in Peter and what he is offering to do for you and for I. Because Jesus is inviting me right now to quit holding the crushing weight of that failure, that denial, of that sin. He's, he's allowing you to quit using that as an excuse as to why you can't do the things that God wants you to do. He's saying, listen, that doesn't have to have the final say in your life anymore. You can be free from that. You can be liberated from that. Jesus showed up on this beach to free Peter from his failure and his sin. And Jesus is showing up right now on this day, inviting you into a place of restoration and freedom. My question is, you can get up and walk with him and let him do that, or are you going to fight him and reject him? In fact, you might even need to take a couple moments right now and just pause. So if you need technology, right, just hit pause and lean into the restoration that God has for you. To just confess and admit your sin, your failure, your rebellion, your rejection, and to let the, the, the waterfall of God's grace just wash over you in this moment. The restorative work of Jesus in us. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. What Christ does for Peter in this moment. Secondly, now look at verses 18 through 23. We see this second element, right? The restoration. Jesus restores us. Why? So he can send us out. And we see here the missional work of Jesus for us. So right on the heels of this beautiful restoration, uh, Jesus goes full circle on this because now he's like, hey, now that I've restored you, I'm going to send you. i got some work for you. There's some things in front of you. Uh, and, and really two things become really clear here in verses 18 through 23 uh, around the missional work of Jesus for for us. One is that you and I are to be concerned about following Jesus. Right? Our concern is around you and I following, pursuing, chasing after him. Um, and then secondly, that we're not troubled uh, by the mission that God gives to others. So I'm not worried about what God has for someone else. I'm just worried about following Jesus. Here, look what the text says, verse 18. And following, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That's not an encouraging word that Peter is getting right there. Uh, John goes on, he says, this, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so, so Jesus, maybe even, this might have a double meaning, right? Jesus might stand up and be like, Peter, we're going to go for a walk. Right, and so you almost kind of have this image of them walking down the beach. But of course, this also is the sense of, I want you to follow me with your life. And so they're, they're walking along. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And so, so here's Jesus and Peter walking along. And, and Peter's kind of looking over his shoulder. And he keeps seeing John. And I'm sure the other disciples are probably following as well. Well, look at verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And I love Jesus' response. This is great. Somewhat hyperbolic and exaggerated, but I think that's his point. Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Right? So, so we have uh, the missional work of Jesus for us and the, 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 the dual nature of this. We're concerned with following Jesus. We're not troubled by God's mission for other people. So let's start with this idea. We're concerned with following Jesus. And just a handful of really intriguing things 
uh, that unfold in this. Um, and, and let me just start by saying Jesus is very clear it's going to go poorly for Peter. Right? Verse 18, uh, th there's no mistaking that. And even if we were uh, wanted to put a rose-colored lens or if we're really optimistic, like, well, maybe it doesn't mean what we think it does, verse 19 just blows that out of the water, right? Because he, he says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, isn't that an intriguing thing that John says there? And he's talking about Peter's death, essentially saying, hey, you're going to die. But God's going to be glorified in that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that, that, that's an incredible thing that he's saying. Let, let me ask you, is God's glory enough for you? Is God's glory, is that enough for you. Here's what I mean by that. If the only thing that came of your life, the entirety of the days that God gives you on this earth, if all that it amounted to was that God was glorified and nothing else, would that be enough for you? Now, uh, imagine, right? imagine for a moment, as you're thinking about that, just imagine that um, I don't have this power, but if I did, if I could tell you the rest of your life, Let's just say that I was able to see in the future, and I could, I could, I could see all the days of your life and what they looked like and how things played out and, and, and how it all unfolded. Here's my question to you. What would be the things that you would most want to know? If I said, hey, I know all of it. You can only ask me a couple of questions. What are the questions you're going to ask? Right? You're probably going to, well, you know, how long and how, how well did it go? And maybe you want to ask about loved ones. Here's my question. Where on the list, or is it even a consideration? Or we're saying, hey, listen, at the end of the day, was God glorified in my life? If nothing else comes in my life, if God is glorified, like, where does that come into play? Because there's this reality, part of what's happening here is like, hey, you're... What Jesus is saying of Peter is, uh, your life is going to be really difficult, it's going to be really demanding, but God is going to be glorified in it. Like, would that be enough? Would we be satisfied if that was the same result that we got? I mean, God help us, right? God help us that, that his glory would be, be what we're most concerned about in our life. And so you have this missional work of Jesus that we're concerned with following Jesus, certainly this pursuit of his glory, but make note of three other things here real quick. First of all, make note of the surrender of following, right? The surrender of following. And we see this very clearly in verse 18, uh, that there's this sense that, that Peter's going to be surrendered ultimately to the will of God. And so in choosing to follow Jesus, uh, part of what comes with that is we're confronted with the reality that you and I have to surrender our lives. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Uh, it means this. It means you're not in control anymore. Now, at some level, all of us have come to, to that conclusion in the last number of weeks. Uh, there's a lot of things that are out of our control that we have no control over. We've been wrestling through that uh, in a variety of ways. But in following Jesus, it's not just that we know that, but that we live in a posture that embraces the fact that I'm not in control and that God is. Because implied in not once but twice, Jesus telling Peter to follow me is, and, and while you're following me, you quit following yourself. Or you quit following whoever else it is that you're following. Because our allegiance is primarily to Jesus and only secondarily uh, to anyone else. So Peter has lost control, right? And this surrender, which means I'm surrendering my life, I'm surrendering my agenda, I'm surrendering my desires and my dreams and all these things ultimately to the Lord. So 
let me just ask you, is there anything, is there anything that you refuse to surrender to Christ? Anything that you refuse to release? Anything that you refuse to let go? Uh, and if there is, why? Well, why would you not let it go? I think that there's this irony that, that what often comes, you talk about surrendering your life to Jesus, there's this irony uh, that the surrendering often means that I'm going to miss out on life. Well, if I surrender to Jesus, I don't get to do the fun stuff. I don't get to do the enjoyable stuff. Now listen, at one level, there's truth to the fact that you are going to miss out on some things. Well, look, we're going to see this in totality. You miss out on this little thing over here, and what you gain in the process is Christ. See, see, think of it like this. It's hard to cling. Right? It's hard to fully cling to Jesus when you're still holding on to something else. So, so let, we'll, we'll let my Bible represent Jesus here. Okay? Uh, and then I've got a water bottle here, uh, and we'll let that represent the world. It's hard to cling to either one of these when I'm holding both of them. It's only in being able to set whatever it is down and fully grab and hold on to Jesus that we really get the totality of what it is that he offers to us. And if you're trying to hedge your bets, I think you have the most miserable lot of all. Because what you're going to get is you're going to get nothing from both sides. That might be the most depressing situation of all. You're going to lose all of it. You're not going to get the totality of Jesus or the world. Not that you really want the totality of the world. The surrender of following Right? There's, there's a sense that part of our mission, that we're surrendered to Jesus. Secondly, make note of this, not only are we surrendered, uh, but secondly, there's the suffering and following. Right? So, so, so not only is Peter not in control, right? his hands are stretched out, uh, he's led to places that he doesn't necessarily want to go, but it's not just that he's surrendered, there's also suffering in that. Right? This is going to cost Peter his life. He's going to have to lay it all down in order to follow Jesus. See, here's the false dichotomy is that I can retain my life and follow Jesus. That doesn't exist. See, to truly follow Jesus, you have to lay down your life. You have to release your life. Inherent in following Jesus is giving up your life. It's, it's the surrender. But what you give up is a, is, is a mediocre life or a far better life in Christ. There's a dying to self. There's a dying to self in this. I don't remember where I came across this. I had heard someone speak years ago. It might have been a missionary. I might have read it somewhere. I can't remember where. They were recounting this story of a particular individual, uh, a, a martyr who was going to their death. And shortly before they went to their death, uh, they were asked, do, do you regret that you're going to lose your life for Jesus? And they simply responded. They said, no, I, I lost my life years ago when I first surrendered to Jesus. This death that I'm going to is what actually frees me and sends me into the life that I gave up initially. See, that's what it is to follow Jesus. Right? That's the lens that we want to see eternity through. Yeah, there's going to be suffering. It's going to be temporary. Right? There's going to be struggle. There's going to be demands. There's going to be hardship. But it's totally worth it. Because you're going to give up what won't last for what will endure for all of eternity. You're going to suffer for a little while to celebrate in perfection in the presence of, of, of the Lord for all of time. I mean, you want to talk about glorious and worth it. Like, what, what, what better trade-off is there than that? 
Peter himself, even at the end of his life, he knows this. He says this in 2 Peter 1. He says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. Now, he's actually talking about his death there. Now, he's suffered in his life. He's talking about his death, but he's seeing it properly through the lens of eternity. And so when you think about suffering as following, here's my question for you. Would you still follow Jesus if it meant not that you got blessing and prosperity and comfort and ease and life, but instead what it meant is that it was going to be hard and demanding and there was going to be suffering and there was going to be trials and there was going to be death. Let's just be honest, right? There's suffering and following. But that should not deter us from the far better option that is found in Jesus. Suffering and following. The surrender of following. Thirdly, we see this, that there's the decision of following. Two different times, Jesus tells Peter, follow me. He says at the end of verse 19, and he says it again at the end of verse 22. Right? Follow me. There's a decision for all of us. That we have to decide to follow Jesus, or we're going to reject to follow Jesus. It's part of being concerned with our mission, right? That, that, that we're concerned with following Jesus. There's a decision that has to be made. Now, now here's how this tends to play. You're going to fall into probably one of three categories. Some of you, probably many of you who are watching this, you are firm and resolute in your decision to follow Jesus. And I pray that this text, what this is doing for you, is that you're thankful for all that Christ affords for you, that you're reminded of his glory, and that it reaffirms you, yeah, I still want to follow him, and I want to be all in with him. But I'm willing to bet there's some of you that are watching this right now, and if you're honest, man, there's just this wavering, this uncertainty in you, right, that you waffle back and forth. Is, is following Jesus really worth it? Sometimes you think it is, other times you really doubt it, and you just question inside of you. Man, God help us that today would be the day you put your flag on the ground. That today would be the day that you're like, no more, I'm, I'm committed, I'm in, I'm resolute, I'm all in with Jesus, and that you would waver or be uncertain. And then there might be some of you that are watching this. And you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I've never been a follower of Jesus. I stumbled upon this, or you know, my, my friend or my sibling or whoever it is sent this to me, told me I should listen to this or whatever it is. But over time, you're like, yeah, I, what, what, what would it look like to follow? How, how do I follow? Well, the first step is, is really quite simple. It's that you confess your sin, you confess your rebellion, the ways in which you've rejected God. And you trust in Jesus to make you right before God. Right? In the same way that he restored Peter. That he offers to restore you, to bring you into fellowship and life and vitality with God. We are concerned with following Jesus. That is to be our concern. But Peter, right, he's hung up on John's face, not so concerned with his own. So let's just close with this idea right here that we're not troubled by others' mission. Yeah, we, we, we want to follow. We want to be concerned with following Jesus. But we're not concerned. We're not troubled. We're not distracted by others' mission. So you just kind of have this, again, this image of Jesus and Peter walking along the beach. I just have it on my mind. Jesus is giving all kinds of life-altering wisdom. But Peter's not really hearing it because he's distracted, right? He's just looking back at John. And all Peter can come up with is this. Look at what he says here in, in verse 21. He says, Lord, what about this man? 
So Jesus just says to him, says to him hey, if, if he lives until I come back, what is that to you? Now, of course, Jesus isn't saying that that's going to be the case, and John actually addresses that in verse 23. But Jesus is like, who cares? And I love what Jesus says. He says, what is that to you? If he lives forever, what is that to you? Because Peter, yeah, I've, I've got a purpose and a mission for him, but I've got a purpose and a mission for you. And that's why Jesus follows it up by saying, you follow me. Don't worry about him. Don't be concerned with him. Don't be troubled with him. Like, like, it's going to play out differently. You worry about what I have for you. You don't need to worry about what I have for someone else. Church, that's a word we all need to hear, isn't it? You just worry about the things that God has for you. Now, this, this means a number of things. Here's a few things just real quick on how this plays out and what this means. First of all, it means that each and every one of us has a specific role to fulfill in God's kingdom. Each and every one of us has a specific role, a God-ordained role, you could say, to fulfill in God's kingdom. Right? God's given each of us a role. Now, now, could you imagine going to a play and watching a play or a production, you go to Broadway, uh, and you've got all kinds of different people. You've got the actors, and you've got the lights, and the stagehands, all these different things are going on. But could you imagine if every single one of them is like, nope, I'm going to be the lead today. Now, outside of the fact that it would be kind of wildly entertaining for about 90 seconds after that, it'd just get weird, wouldn't it? Further, we don't need a lead. We already have a lead. His name is Jesus. You and I are all part of the supporting cast. Play your role. In Acts 6, it talks about fulfill your ministry. You do the thing that God has for you. Just play your role. Don't worry about the other roles. Just play your role. As you think about the specific role that you have, secondly, make note of this, that our roles are not going to be identical. They're not going to look the same. What God gives to someone is going to be different from what God gives to someone else. Now, we know that in theory, but often we act like we don't. Because this whole thing that Jesus is unpacking for Peter is, it's not about equity, it's not about everyone getting the same thing, it's not about being fair, it's not about the same opportunities. God gives him a role that looks different than, 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 than Peter's role, and John's role, and the other disciples have different roles, you and I have different roles. See, what you have physically, what you have mentally, what you have emotionally, what you have intellectually is going to be distinct from the people around you. Right? What opportunities you receive, they're going to be varied. How life is going to play out for you is going to play out radically different for other people in your life or around you or your family. And what God calls you to is going to be different than what God calls other people to. Right? So, so, so practically speaking, some of you are going to be really healthy. Others of you are going to be frail. Some of you are going to do really well financially. Some of you are going to struggle mightily. There's going to be certain sins for some of you that you just always, always, always wrestle with. And it's always this burden. Others of you are like, oh, that's easy. But you're going to have a whole set of different things that you're going to wrestle with and struggle with. See, it's all a part of what God intends for each of us. Our roles won't be identical. The issue is that we'll be faithful to what God entrusts us. Thirdly, this. We each have a specific role. Our roles won't be identical. Third, we should celebrate, not begrudge others' rules. See, when you're jealous, when you're angry, when you're bitter that God would give something or, uh, to someone else that he hasn't given to you, what we're really saying, listen to me, what we're really saying is, hey, God got it wrong. That God doesn't fully understand. Or God hasn't been fair. Or that God owes me something. Loved ones, those are things you don't want to be saying. 
See, the ability to celebrate what God has entrusted to someone else is the statement that chooses to trust what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in other lives. That, that's not always easy, right? Sometimes that's going to be painful and hard. But right? you're going to be reminded of some of the things that you don't have. Let me just sum it up this way. God help us, God help us, that we would choose to embrace what God chooses to entrust to us. Choose to embrace what God chooses to entrust to you. You embrace what God gives to you. And don't concern yourself with what God gives to others. I'm not saying we don't care about others. But we're just not wondering why we don't get to do that or why that's not part of what God has entrusted us. In fact, I, I, let me close us by, by jumping back to Psalm 90, a psalm written by Moses. Did you know Moses wrote a psalm? Right, Moses wrote a psalm. Psalm 90. Here's how Moses closes that psalm. He says this, speaking to God, he says, let your work, did you catch that? Right, God, let your work be shown to your servants. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, God, you have work for us. Reveal what the work that you want for each of us to be. And then later, in verse 17, he's asking God that, that God would establish the work of our hands upon us. But it starts with, God, you show us the work that you have for us. Then, God, would you establish the work that you have for us? And so here's what this means. I don't have to worry about the things that God doesn't have for me. I just have to worry about the things that God's entrusted to me. That's actually really freeing if we'll grab a hold of that. Instead of being bugged or angry or bitter. Plus, for myself, I don't have to pastor another church. I just have to pastor faith church. That's, that's enough. Trust me, that's enough, okay? Right? But I don't have to pastor another church. You don't have to do another job. You just need to do your job. You don't have to parent someone else's kids. You just got to parent your kids. You don't have to fix someone else's spouse. You probably can't even fix your own spouse, right? right? You, you do the things that God has entrusted to you, whether that be the, the, the simple things, the ministry things, whatever it is that God's given to you, do those things. Don't worry about the things that God has for some of us. The missional work of Jesus for us. We're concerned with following Jesus. We're not troubled. We're not distracted by what Jesus has for others. Because Jesus restores us to send us out as we follow him. But once God is inviting us into restoration, and he's doing that for our good and ultimately to send us out for his glory. God, let that be true of us. Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray that even in this moment that you would help us to see both your restorative work and your commissioning work. God, for those who need restoration, I pray they'd be honest Rather, they, they would, in this moment, if they haven't already, that they would just stop and pause and, 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 and run to you in the same way that Peter ran to you, threw himself upon you. God, would that be true for them? And then for all of us, would you help us to see the commissioning work that you make available to us? And God, that we would go forward in that. Not concerned with what you're doing in other people's lives, just concerned with what you have in our life. Thankful for the ways that you're showing up in we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Faith Church, you're loved and you're sent. Have a great week.